You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, we are joined by Dr. Will Bolshevitz for the third time, board-certified gastroenterologist, New York Times best-selling author, social media influencer, dare I say, an all-round fantastic person. Brother, welcome back to the show. My brother, Joe, it is a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, you are an old friend of mine, and it's it's always nice when we get to connect in this space because you've been connecting with me. Like, here I am, and I have 370,000 followers on Instagram, and you say, oh, Dr. B is an influencer. I don't think of myself that way. But... Um, you know, you go back to 2018 and I had like, you know, 15,000 followers the first time that you and I recorded together. So times have changed. It's crazy how much the world can change in a few years. Yeah. And I can honestly say after following you, I mean, we, we've, we've known each other now for roughly about, I think about four years, but I can honestly say that I still see the same passion that you had back then on our show. Uh, as you do now, the clarity of the message is still the same. The only thing that changed is obviously now you've got a much bigger audience. You've got a New York uh, Times bestselling book, a new book out, the uh, Fiber Fueled Cookbook. Uh, but I'd be curious to kind of know um, just why do you think uh, that you're that you have managed to build up such an audience? You've managed to you know get these great partnerships like you have now with Zoe, and perhaps why has your message? resonated so deeply with with audiences i think there's a couple of things joe um so uh, part of it is that i'm a real person and i'm very upfront about that um you know i'm a dad i got two kids we're about to have baby number three uh, i struggle in real life i don't pretend to be something that i'm not right the things that you read in the book that i say this is what you're supposed to do i also am very honest in saying like I should probably do these things myself. <laughs> and, you know, I think the part of it is, um, so yes, I have the education. I uh, went to great schools, some of the best schools in the United States, Georgetown, Northwestern, the University of North Carolina. I was on, the, on a grant from the NIH. Um, I have published more than 20 research papers. You know, literally earlier today, I was in an interview and the person started citing statistics about how many people suffer with gut health issues. They said about 70 people, 70 million people in the United States. And I chimed in and I said, actually, that's my paper. I published that, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Um, so, but I also have been a clinician. I've worked one-on-one -on -one behind the, the doors of a clinic with patients suffering with complex digestive health issues. In fact, I would venture to say that many of the people who have actually sought me out are the people who have been suffering the most and have failed with other doctors and they've discovered me through social media and they actually, they actually, you know, will try to figure out a way to get in with me. So, but, you know, the third thing that I think is perhaps the most important part, I mean, yes, education, yes, experience, both clinically and as a researcher. But I think perhaps the most important part is that 
I, I went through these things myself. And so there I was 10 years ago. And if you're watching on YouTube right now, you can see the man in front of you. Here I am. I'm in my, I'm in my forties, but there I was 10 years ago in my early thirties and miserable look in the mirror. And there's a guy who's 50 pounds, 20 kilos overweight. The, the gut is sagging over the belt. That's a pretty sobering thing for a guy who played three sports in high school. Um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high anxiety, very low energy, which I think people are like, Dr. B, low energy, you, what? Yeah, low energy. Like I was curled up like a ball underneath a blanket in a dark room. Depressed, super anxious. That was me. And if you were an outsider and you didn't really know me super well, then you didn't know most of those details of what was happening in my life. But that's where I was behind closed doors. And, and to the outside world, here's this guy who's accomplishing like way beyond his personal goals from a professional perspective. I was the number one person in my class at Northwestern. That's 60 brilliant doctors. And I was the one who won the highest award. I was the chief medical resident there. You know, I mentioned some of the accolades earlier. I'm not going to rehash those, but I think that the point is that it did not matter what was happening in my life. I was miserable. I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't like the man that I saw in the mirror. And I knew that something had to change. And I think Joe, being a medical doctor, it's one thing to be empathetic to your patient because you legitimately care. I legitimately care. I care about these people. These are people. These are not codes. These are not diagnoses. These are humans. Their lives are being disrupted. But at the same time, I think it takes you to a heightened level of empathy and compassion when you yourself have been the person who needed the help and you didn't know where to turn to. And so in a way, it's kind of interesting, Joe, I'm sure you've had this experience and I, and I challenge the listeners at home to examine their own life. Have you had something in your life that in the moment, it feels like a curse? Why are you doing this to me? Why do I have to go through this? And then five years later, you look back and you discover that the curse was actually a blessing. It's exactly what you needed in your life. It's exactly the change that you needed to transform you and make you something different. I was transformed by that deep, dark place that I was in, in 2012. It allowed me to figure out like, how can I get myself better? Well, here's the problem. Here's the first problem for me as, the, as this version of a 32 year old Dr. B, like I'm, I'm now Board I'm way beyond medical school. I am board certified in internal medicine. I could go into practice and be a primary care doctor, but I've chosen to specialize as a gastroenterologist. So I'm in my training at the University of North Carolina to be a GI doctor. And um, the problem is that despite this excellent training that I am very proud of, I actually didn't have a solution for my own problems. The pills and the procedures in my doctor's bag were not going to get me out of this problem. 
So I did what typical early thirties men do. I said, let me go to the gym and just smash it. And then by doing that, I'll be able to like eat whatever the heck I want. Who cares? Right. If you work out enough, you can eat whatever you want. That's the beauty. So, well, that did not work out. That did not work the way that I thought it would. I tried. Um, it seemed to work when I was in my like, you know, late teens and early twenties, but as a 30 something that wasn't going to do it. So, you know, six days a week, 45 minutes to an hour of strength training, jump on the treadmill for a five to 10 K. If it's the summertime, jump in the pool, swim 50 to hundred laps. I grew stronger. I was faster. I could swim further in the pool. I did not lose the gut. It was still sagging over the belt. And my life changed, Joe, when I met the person who ironically is the mother of all of my children and she is my wife. But in this moment, I didn't know, I didn't have the future to see. Um, I didn't know that this was anything more than a first date. And we're in Carborough, North Carolina. Now, just to frame this for the UK audience, because the, the Americans will know this. This is pork country. <laughs> the big, okay, like seriously, the biggest producer of sausages in the United States is Smithfield. Okay. Smithfield <laughs> is like 30 minutes away from where I'm talking about right now. All right. So this is pork country and we're out at dinner and I'm ordering up the pork chop. And there's this person sitting in front of me on a first date. And she says to the waiter, I know this is not on the menu, but can you go to the chef and just have him put the collards, the beans, the black eyed peas, the green beans, the mashed potatoes, just arrange it on a plate for me, please. And out comes this plant plate. And I'm just like, yo, who is this person? What are you doing? What, you don't want the steak or the pork chop or anything? Not even the fish? <laughs> I mean, Joe, I'd never been around anyone who was vegetarian, let alone vegan. But here's what I observed. I, I noticed, though, this person, she loved her food. She was as happy with her plate as I was with mine. She ate until she was full. She cleaned her plate. But she looked amazing. Yes. Yeah. Her health was aligned. And when we were done, she was ready for round two of the date. She's like, let's keep going. Let's hang out. And I'm just like, yo, I kind of go home and put on some sweatpants. I'm beat. <laughs> like I'm hungover and I didn't even have an alcoholic drink. I'm hungover from this food. <laughs> so anyway, it the, the, the opened my eyes, Joe. And it sent me down a path that forced me to reconsider. Maybe my diet is the problem. Maybe the food that's been celebrated in my family through these decades is actually holding me back. Um, it's not a fun choice or decision to have to come to because I loved the food I was eating. It was junk. It was cheap and it was convenient and it tasted good and it was destroying my health one bite at a time. Do you think from what you said, but they, I mean, me listening to this, I've never been to medical school, but the people listening to it, um, to me, it sounds like medical school, from what you described there, is failing doctors. That might sound like an extreme statement. Uh, but from, you know, obviously you said you're a board-certified uh, gastroenterologist. And 
I'm sure we'll get on to, to the microbiome. Um, but it sounds like the the uh, they they don't teach you the in depth the um, perhaps the practical tools needed to actually revolutionize your own your own health because the microbiome is personalized. And I wonder just how much detail they are actually teaching young doctors in in uh, practice. I wonder if you have any thoughts or comments, or if you feel like I was out of line, but that's what it kind of sounds like to me. You're totally out of line, man. How dare you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Joe. No, this is good. Look, I in the interest of not boring the UK audience, let me just kind of do a quick referendum on the US healthcare system, which obviously is a very different healthcare system than it is in the UK or in Canada or something like that. Um, but the, the problem is I was in the, the medical world for 20 years. You know, I started in 2002 and it was in 2003 that I had my nutrition training. Here's what they taught me. It was a two week course, two weeks, <laughs> two months, not two years, two weeks. All right. Nine to five. Or... Yeah. So it was 2003. It was a two week course. And I received questions, not questions like, Hey, how do you counsel a patient on what to eat to lower their blood pressure or, or their cholesterol or reduce their risk of having a heart attack? That's not what I was taught. The questions were, what are the five symptoms about vitamin B6 deficiency? And I'm just like, I don't know what they are now. Okay. Cause this was 19 years ago. And I've never died. Perhaps I should have studied harder during these two weeks, but I've never diagnosed a vitamin B6 deficiency in my entire career. Okay. So it wasn't very practical. It was just kind of like, how good are you at memorizing yes. these weird facts? Symptoms. And, yeah. And, and I didn't, I finished my training. That was 2003. I didn't finish my training until 11 years later. So, I mean, I certainly didn't retain that much 11 years later. I can barely remember what I had for dinner last night. <laughs> so I just think that we are flawed. We, it is a flawed system. And I think that part of what I would say about this is, I, I don't know if you feel this way, Joe, but I kind of feel like healthcare. So first of all, I, I feel that doctors really, truly care because if they didn't, they wouldn't choose to go into medicine mm -hmm. and burnout rates are at an all time high. Many doctors wish that they could leave healthcare and they, they can't, they don't have a choice because they invested their entire life and they, are they have a financial stake in it because they took hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of loans to get their education properly. Yeah. So it's, it's a challenging situation, but um, the, the issue is that it's, it's kind of like the way that I feel about my parents, who I love deeply. And when you're a child, you see your parents as almost godlike. They are flawless. And then you become an adult and one day you realize and you discover they're not flawless. They're lovely. Um, I care so deeply about them and that has not changed. But they are human and they make mistakes and they have their flaws. And that's the way I feel about healthcare is I came up in it. And I started off viewing it very godlike. These people, these doctors, they they walk on water. Yes. And when I emerged on the other side, now I'm the guy who's going to say, it's not that we need to destroy the doctors. It's more so that we need to rebuild the system to make it function for what our society needs and not make it so reactive 
where we're just giving pills and procedures after a person is already sick, but instead we are intervening before the illness has even taken a hold. And to actually accomplish that is complex because it goes beyond the healthcare system and you start digging into our society and food and the food chain and these um, you know, companies that are selling food, the restaurants that are selling food, the government subsidies. And there's so much to that. And it's just not easy, especially when you have lobbyists out there. Yeah, I think this is a great point. And this actually brings me up to a question that I would love to ask you, because I believe about two weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Stephen Gundry on the show. Um, <clears throat> and he is one of, I would say, perhaps about uh, maybe about five or six uh, doctors that we've had on that uh, I would say has that they have said some things that have been somewhat to the point of, of contention. Um, hmm. And perhaps, you know, one of the things that I, I, we very much like about you is we have you on the show and there's always very little debate about the things that you said. It's all very scientific. It's all evidence-based. Um, but what, one of the comments that we had, which really struck out to me, is that we had Gundry on the show. And um, I would happily pose this question to Gundry. I didn't interview him. Uh, Lewis interviewed him. Um, but for instance, you know, he started talking about, for instance, not eating lectins. Um, I think he said that, for instance, eating oatmeal, there was some sort of uh, molecule in there which uh, mimic glucose or to be mindful of eating oatmeal. And people, you know, they, they got in touch and they said, you know, it's, it's interesting stuff, but you just don't know what to believe. We just yeah. feel so helpless. You know, this right. person says this, this person feels this. So right. I would just love to, to kind of get your take on for the average person listening to this, I, it can be overwhelming. You know, there's so much information. How can the people cut straight through the nonsense and know what's fact from fiction? This is a challenging thing. And I think that this is, you know, Joe, we have left the, so um, again, I'm in my early forties and I, I remember the nineties really well. It's a great decade for me. I, was I loved it. Great music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was listening to some Pearl Jam last night, actually. And like, you know, Pearl Jam 10 came out in 1991. It's an amazing <laughs> album. Um, so, and th we considered the internet back then. We had like 14.4 modems. We considered it the information age. Because prior to that, you had to get the Encyclopedia Britannica and like open that up to figure out what was going on in the world. <laughs> you read the encyclopedia, right? And obviously newspapers were very, very relevant back then because that was our source of like up-to-date news and information. Yes. And now we have Twitter. And the problem is that um, we, like how can we properly manage what is truth versus misinformation on the internet? I personally, this is, a, this is actually getting almost into a political thing and going beyond mm -hmm. us talking about health. Yeah. Um, this is a much big, bigger topic. And I'd be curious what your listeners think about this on an individual basis. I'll just tell you my perspective. I don't think we can like really manage the right to free speech, right? Free speech has to exist. It's um, part of what makes us uh, a democracy. And who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong? And how do we know that this source of truth that's deciding what is right and what is wrong is in fact accurate? Yes. I don't yeah. think we can do that. So now we're stuck with the situation where there are going to be voices and there will be many. And on the internet, one of the things that we have to think about is we have to start 
by looking at ourselves, not the expert, ourselves, because we will naturally have confirmation bias. We will gravitate towards the person who tells us what we want to hear. This is the reason why in the United States, I'd be curious if this is true in the UK, it used to be there was just the news. And now it's which news agency is politically aligned with your personal agenda. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you go there and they tell you what you want to hear. In the health space, this exists just as much as it does in politics. If you want to hear that beans or oatmeal are unhealthy for you, <laughs> there are people who will tell you this. If you want to hear that eating bacon will help you to live a longer and healthier life, there are people who will tell you this. We have to, on an individual basis, take responsibility for our own choices in terms of who we uh, access information from. Not everyone can possibly be the truth. We can't all be the truth. When you hear things that are diametrically opposed, one of them has to be right, one of them has to be wrong, or they're both wrong. Those are the choices. They can't both be right. That's not a possibility. Yeah, yeah. How do we sift through that? I think that we have a personal responsibility to use the muscle between our ears to pay attention to these individuals. And before we ever take a single word of their advice, like including me, don't take my advice until you are ready to believe that I am giving you the whole truth to the best of my ability. And you simultaneously believe that I am properly trained to actually give you that information. If I, as a gastroenterologist, start telling you how to treat like something that has nothing to do with gastroenterology, what am I doing? And what's up with all the people coming in talking about the gut health space who are not gastroenterologists? What's up with that? I mean, they have every right to tell you to like put it out there. You don't have to take it. You don't have to accept it. And so I think that this is this is where we have to come to, and we have to get our we have to get our nose intact and start to sniff out the fakes, the frauds, the scams. They have always existed. Snake oil existed, you know, two hundred years ago, man. There's still snake oil. It's just that they're more effective at marketing and hyping it up now because they can use the internet to like make it sound so sexy. Oh man, this snake oil is sexy. You're gonna like it's gonna change your life. This is the shortcut you're looking for. But stop with the shortcuts. Small, simple, common sense, sustainable choices repeated over time become habits. Habits are the actual shortcut. Um, let's stop with the nonsense of, hey, cut this out. This is going to change your life and help you lose 70 pounds. That's bullshit. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I love that. Sorry for profanity. Oh, it's all good, man. That's allowed in this space. <laughs> the freedom pack, freedom of speech. You can see. Well, and you did, yeah, and you and you did have a port star on just before me. So, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I gotta spice it up a little bit for the fellas, What's up, boys. Um, what one of the things that I can say is, you know, by this point of the show, I think we've done about three hundred episodes. Um, and nice. you know, and and I was thinking to myself this year that I was thinking the only real two truths I would say that I, I've come up with from the people that we've interviewed from, people like yourself, um, you know, even slightly more controversial uh, medical doctors. You know, we had, we, for instance, we had uh, Sean Baker on talking about the carnivore diet. We've, 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 we've been through them all. Um, and I can say two things that, that kind of come to my mind. Then please, I promise we're, we're going to tie this back in. Um, 
is the first one is that whether you're vegan or whether you're carnivore, both sides agree, don't eat any junk. Uh, that seems to be unanimous. Uh, but the other thing is really the best advice and as simple advice that I, I've seen on this topic actually came from Michael Pollan when he said, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. Yeah, that's really, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 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 this is where it requires us to actually like if you hear someone who's being a complete zealot where this is the only way for you to be healthy, that's bullshit. That is not true. There are many paths to human health. So for example, a person like I find that I am commonly misinterpreted because people assume that truly, Joe, because people assume that the diet that I believe has worked for me is the diet that I'm here to make you eat. That is not true. I personally am vegan, all right? It has worked for me. But if you read my books, that is not actually what I'm saying. No, you don't. You don't. I can say that for sure. And you can, and you can assume that I'm saying that. But instead, what I am saying is that if you look at the science, because my source of truth when it comes to health is again, I tap into my research background and my source of truth is not to listen to someone else's podcast. There's nothing wrong with that. And I understand where the way person would do that. But for me, I'm going straight to the, I'm going straight to the medical literature. Mm-hmm. That's my source of truth. I'll read it with my own eyes. I'll use my own brain to interpret it. And then I'll pull it together and have it make sense. And what I'm seeing in the medical literature is a pattern that exists across different societies, different cultures, different populations of people across the entire globe. It's not just one place, it's many different places. It's it's verified by different approaches like the Mediterranean diet or the blue zones, or you could keep adding to the, the body of evidence that basically suggests that there are many versions of a healthy diet, but almost all of these versions, when we talk about helping you to live a longer, healthier life with a reduced risk of heart disease, a reduced risk of cancer, Basically, these diets are all a predominantly plant-based diet. It's not required to be 100% plant-based, but they are predominantly plant-based diets. If you make plants the centerpiece of your diet, you are moving in the right direction. And context, the other thing I'll mention real quick, Joe, is that context is very important. I'm not worried about the person who's 90% plant-based right now. I'm really not. Okay. I think it's great. You want to tweak your diet. Cool. Tweak it. I'm worried about the person who is me from 10 years ago, who's ho-humming along eating a fast food, junk food diet, and their diet is less than 10% plants. And they're, they're going to like expose themselves to increased risk of heart disease and cancer and early death as a result of this junk food diet that's going to accumulate over decades until they're in their fifties and they're, they can't turn back. They're horribly unhealthy at that point. I'm trying to intervene now on that person. Yeah. And uh, how, how much, because obviously you've written the book Fiber Fueled. Um, you've also written, you know, the new book, the Fiber Fueled Cookbook, yeah. out in the UK for our listeners. Um, how much fiber does I say just the average American? How much do they intake compared to how much they should per day? Okay, so uh, if I walk out on the street, and by the way, these numbers are going to be pretty comparable in the UK and also in Australia. If I walk out on the street and I take a random sample of twenty people, twenty Americans. 19 out of 20 are deficient in fiber. The recommended amount for women is 25 grams. The average woman in the United States is getting like 16 grams. The recommended amount for men is 38 grams. 
men on average consume more fiber than women. We get like 18 grams of fiber, but we're 20 grams deficient. We're less than 50% of where we're supposed to be. So we're not even close to getting to where we need to be when it comes to this. And what it comes back to, Joe, is let's pretend, think of, the, think of it like a pie. And that pie is 10% plants, which by the way, right now, French fries are the number one plant for most people. <laughs> so <laughs> that pie is 10% plants and 60% ultra processed foods and 30% meat, dairy, and eggs. If you simply withdrew the ultra processed foods, and replaced them with plants, you would be 70% plant-based. And think of how much more healthy you would be just by doing that. And, and then you have this 30% that's left over that you can decide what you want to do with this. I would make an argument that eating more than your body weight on a yearly basis in meat is not moderation. That's excessive. I would make an argument that we would be a healthier population if we reduced that. I'm not saying it has to be reduced to zero. I'm just saying, what if we replace that with plants? I think we'd be better off. Why is fiber so healthy for us? Um, all right. So it's, I think it really, the, the short answer, and then I'll explain it. The short answer is short chain fatty acids. If I'm just going to jump right to what is the answer is short chain fatty acids. They are the healing molecules. They are the most anti-inflammatory molecules that I've ever come across in the 20 years that I've been studying medicine, Joe. So let me unpack what this is and how we get to them. We uh, have been taught inappropriately that fiber just goes in the mouth and comes out the other end and that it has no role in human health. That's nonsense. Not true. The problem is that we as humans, as complex as we are, as um, egotistical as we are about our superiority over the animal kingdom. And, you know, we are the apex predators in our own mind. Um, we lack the enzymes to process and digest fiber. Right. But we have discovered a new organ. This organ, we didn't really know much about until like 15 years ago. And that is the gut microbiome. The gut microbiome is the community of microorganisms that are predominantly focused in our colon, which is our large intestine. And in there, there are 38 trillion of them. Now, 38 trillion is a very big number. So let me try to put this in the perspective. If I take you, Joe, and we're going to fill up your colon, you're going to start off sterile. And by the time we're done, we're going to have your colon full of microbes, 38 trillion of them. Here's the exercise. Ready? I'm going to lift up to the sky, open my arms, and I'm going to pull down all the stars in the sky. There's about 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And I will insert that galaxy full of stars into your colon 380 times. I will need 380 galaxies full of stars inserted into your colon in order to meet the number of microbes that you and I and the listeners at home have living inside of them right now. They... Um, are as alive as you and I are, which is very hard for us to capture and understand because we can't see them and we're visual creatures. So as humans, we, we struggle with things that are invisible, but imagine this, what if you zoomed out from planet earth? Would you see people when you're up in an airplane? Do you see anyone? No, but you know, we're there. And when the plane comes in for a landing, you step off the plane and look, 
Look at all these people. What if we zoomed in rather than zooming out? What if we zoomed in? What if we pulled out a microscope? We took a look. It's happening in there. You would discover that there's life inside of you. And it's in harmony. It's in balance. It's an ecosystem, just like the Amazon rainforest, just like the Great Barrier Reef. And these microbes, every single one of them, you know, oh, just bacteria, bacteria, bacteria. No, that's not true. They have personalities. They have their own skill sets. Like some do one thing and others do something different. And they have different dietary preferences. And when fiber goes in our mouth, we chew it up, we masticate it, which is different than what you're probably talking about with the porn star. Masticate is <laughs> not the same as master. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> we chew up our we chew up our food. It goes down into the intestine, passes through the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine. The small intestine is uh, about 15 to 20 feet long. So we're talking about somewhere in the range of five to six meters. And there are no enzymes to process the fiber until it enters into the colon. And here come these 38 trillion microbes in a single cellular bacteria. It's one cell could have hundreds of enzymes to break down and process this fiber. And when you take the whole pool, see the gut microbiome is not about one microbe. We tend to focus on one microbe because we're simple and it's easier for us to concentrate on one thing at a time and not the whole thing. But if you take the collective whole of these 38 trillion microbes, they have a functional ability. And that functional ability is not the enzymes that one microbe has. It's all of the enzymes that all of the microbes have. And they work together as a team. One steps up with one enzyme, then the next one steps up with another enzyme. And it basically goes as a cascade until next thing you know, fiber stops being fiber. The microbes are growing stronger. And the fiber, it's like they whipped their wands and they did a Harry Potter thing. And out come the short chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, propionate. These short chain fatty acids I mentioned earlier are the most healing, most anti-inflammatory molecules I've ever come across. Let me break this down for, for everyone. First of all, people want to know, Dr. B, how do you heal leaky gut? My answer is short chain fatty acids. They increase the good guy bacteria. They suppress the bad guy bacteria like Salmonella, Shigella, E. coli. And in leaky gut, the problem is that the gut barrier has been damaged and there's actually like little holes in it that allow things to leak into the bloodstream that aren't supposed to be there. Toxins. The short chain fatty acids have the ability to break, to, uh, to repair these breaks that exist within the gut barrier, close them off, reduce the leaky gut, reduce intestinal permeability. Colon cancer is the number two cause of cancer death in America. It's a common problem in the UK as well. Short chain fatty acids reduce and suppress colon cancer cells through multiple different mechanisms. Short chain fatty acids help to shape our immune system. There's actually data suggesting that they're very critical in, in terms of why some people have a minimal response to COVID-19, while some others, we can talk about this more if you want me to fully unpack it, Joe, but while some others end up in the ICU on a, on a ventilator just to sustain their life. The short chain fatty acids lower our blood pressure, lower our cholesterol, make us feel full so that we don't keep eating food and we don't overeat. They actually create insulin sensitivity. That basically means reversing type two diabetes. I just gave you four risk factors for heart disease, 
obesity, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes. So it's no surprise that in people who have coronary artery disease, there is the absence of these short chain fatty acids. They affect hormonal levels. They affect the blood brain barrier. They cross the blood brain barrier. They actually get into the brain. I know this is your area of expertise and interest. Short chain fatty acids are connected to the blood brain barrier. The blood brain barrier is quite similar to the gut barrier. It can have holes in it too. Divert when it has holes. I'm sorry? Diverticulitis. Diverticulitis? Yeah, yeah. Is that what it's called? When the Well, so diverticulitis is a, a when when you get an infection of one of the diverticuli in the colon. Right. But if you think about the blood brain barrier, uh, when you have uh, holes in the blood brain barrier, people get brain fog. Right. I what see, is I brain saw, fog? Yeah. Yeah. What what is brain fog? Brain fog is leaky brain. Leaky brain, yeah. Short chain fatty acids can repair that. They can affect mood disorders, anxiety, depression. They can, um, it's suggested that short chain fatty acids may prevent Alzheimer's disease. So, and when you take all this, this is not just mechanistic studies. This is not just animal studies. This is the writing on the wall that fiber and short chain fatty acids are key. And when we compile all the data, Joe, my number, if I can only talk about one study, let me bring forward uh, Professor Andrew Reynolds, who's in New Zealand, who did a systematic review and meta-analysis published in January of, I believe, 2019, maybe 2020, it may have been 2020, um, that where he basically compiled all of the best available data on dietary fiber, not fiber supplements, dietary fiber, you're eating real food. Mm. And when he compiled the data, here's what they found. People who eat more fiber, are less likely to have a heart attack, less likely to die of heart disease. That's our number one killer. Less likely to develop cancer of the esophagus, of the colon, or of the breast. Less likely to die of cancer. That's our number two killer. Less likely to have our stroke. That's our number five killer. Less likely to be diagnosed with diabetes. That's our number seven killer. Less likely to be diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. That's our number nine killer. In randomized controlled trials, people who consumed more fiber had lower blood pressure, had lower cholesterol, had lower weight, and there was a trend towards uh, not having diabetes. So if this is true, if everything that I'm saying is true, and I'm, I'm presenting the highest quality evidence that, that exists, a systematic review and meta-analysis, if this is true, and 19 out of 20 people in the US are not consuming an adequate amount of fiber, and I'm telling you that five of the top 10 causes of death are prevent, potentially preventable, why is this not on the news every single night? That does not make sense to me and frankly upsets me. I don't mean to take it on in you, Joe. <laughs> I, I welcome it. I welcome it. Um, what, when I, we've had many conversations on the show pertaining to the microbiome and it always blows my mind. And I, you know, I remember you telling me, you said like this wasn't something that I was taught in medical school. This seems to be, um an emerging field and similar to you i i you know if what's talked about is correct which that's what all the available evidence that we have suggests that it is similar to you, i think why isn't this on billboards but instead it's utter rubbish so I, I completely agree well they've done these studies where they they uh ask how long does it take from the time that something is published uh as a as a you know medical journal article to it actually work its way into pervasive use in healthcare because there's an adoption period, right? So you can't sure. just publish it and expect that instantaneously doctors are doing it. But the, the amount of time that it takes is disturbing. 
17 years. So if that's true, if that's true, Joe, then right now we're functioning on 2005 clock when it comes to healthcare. And guess what? It was roughly 2006 that we finally developed the laboratory tools that we needed to actually study the gut microbiome. So if we're, if we're functioning on a 2005 clock, then it actually makes sense that people are not talking about this. But this is one of the advantages that I have is that with the platform that I've built and with the success of my books, Fiberfield sold 200,000 copies. Wow. So, And I share that because I share that success with you. You helped me. Your listeners helped me. And so with this platform that I have built, I'm citing articles from 2022. We don't need to wait 17 years to get the information. And I think part of being a smart consumer in, in the new world, Joe, going back to the question that you asked me, how do we navigate this? Part of being a smart consumer is we have to move beyond the paternalistic view of healthcare, where it's like you rely on your doctor 100% to tell you what to do. We need to stop with that. We need to become empowered people, empowered patients. We need to collect our information for ourselves. And we take the opinion of the doctor, but we also are empowered with our own knowledge that we contribute to trying to figure this out. So that's what I, that's part of what I'm trying to do with my books is actually empower people with the right information so that they can apply it to their own life in a way that brings them healing and brings them joy. I love that. And we are definitely a show that has always from the start, one of our principles has always been take personal responsibility. Uh, it's not something which is uh, particularly... Uh, politically favorable stance, but we find that it is definitely a common denominator that is rooted in all the 300 plus people that, that we speak to. It seems to be a common thread. And that is where my next question to you would come from, would be something that I've actually never asked anyone on this show. And that would be without perhaps any medical test, how would the person uh, know whether they are improving their gut microbiome? or whether they are hindering it? Is it to do with feel? Perhaps as you discussed, you, you were depressed, you were anxious. Uh, how, how would the person perhaps know whether they are improving it or not? Is there any way to test that? Good news. You don't need to test. Save that money and spend it on vacation or something really fun. Ooh. Okay. Bali, yeah. here I come. <laughs> Bali, here we come. So yeah, the good news is that you don't need a test that um, I can talk about Zoe, which is a little bit different. I'm not lumping Zoe in with what I'm describing here, but the microbiome testing that is commercially available to a person at home, there's a reason why it's being advertised to you at home. There's a reason that they're bypassing the doctor's office because it's marketing. It's hype. It's not actual science. What is the science? What am I, what am I looking for as a gastroenterologist? Because let me just tell you, I don't, I don't actually order tests to tell me whether or not my patient has a gut health issue. I look for patterns. Number one, do you have digestive health problems? The number one place that you will manifest uh, injury to the gut microbiome is with a digestive health problem. So when you're having gas, bloating, abdominal pain, discomfort, cramping, nausea, diarrhea, constipation, particularly when this occurs after food, I'm not talking about the one-off like occasional thing where you go out to dinner at a Mexican restaurant, there was too much spicy food and you got a little bit of like, 
discomfort in your stomach afterwards. We all get that, myself included. I'm talking about chronic issues. I'm talking about this keeps happening and it's affecting your quality of life. It is clear in that setting that you have a digestive health problem. And if you have a digestive health problem, you have a microbiome problem. You can't separate digestive health from the microbiome. They are intertwined and connected in all cases. Now, we zoom out a little bit further. We start with digestion because that's the number one place that it's going to show up. This is why in my clinic, Joe, the people who walk through these doors, they're all, they all are people who have had injury to their microbiome. But when you zoom out, here's what I'm looking for too. Is it affecting their metabolism? Do they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity? All of these things are connected to the gut microbiome. Is it affecting their immune system? Do they have evidence of allergic diseases like asthma or seasonal allergies? Do they have evidence of autoimmune diseases like lupus or multiple sclerosis or psoriasis or Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or celiac disease, or I could write off about 25 more. They're all connected to the gut microbiome. In women, endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome. In men, prostate issues. Uh, is there a mood disorder, depression, anxiety? All of these things are connected back to the gut microbiome. So if you look, if you open your eyes, you will see the pattern. You just have to look for it. Now, how do we know we're getting better? Let's pretend, Joe, because one of the big things in the Fiber Field Cookbook is that I felt, despite the, set, the sale of 200,000 copies of Fiber Field, I felt that there was unfinished business. The unfinished business looks like this. You have to put yourself in my shoes to understand that my job was to show people the revolution that's taking place in science. Like there's amazing things happening literally right now. And if you're not in science, you wouldn't even realize it. So let me bring your attention over here and show you the revolution where we are redefining what human health looks like. And this redefinition involves a part of us that's not even human. It's very exciting. Um, and so my goal with Fiber Fuels was to bring your attention here and get you fired up and try to fix this fiber deficiency that exists. Try to make it so instead of having 19 out of 20 people who are fiber deficient, and I am attributing that to the, the uh, outbreak of Western diseases, let me see if I can get it down. What if I can make it from 19 out of 20 down to like five out of 20? As a medical doctor, that would be a dream come true. Here's where, here's where the unfinished business comes in, Joe. People said to me, either through the internet or they were in my clinic, they would say to me, Dr. B, you got me? I'm fired up. I want to do it. But when I eat the way that you are describing, I don't feel well. If you don't feel well when you are eating these foods in normal amounts and it is negatively affecting your quality of life, you know that you have a damaged gut. In the Fiber Fields cookbook, I want to teach you how to take these foods that you consider to be your enemy. I want to show you how to heal your gut, make it stronger, restore function, and make it so that these foods that you think are your enemy turn out to be your friends. And it's like, Joe, it's like healing 
let's pretend that you injure your knee, right? Um, and you're, you're an athlete and you want to get back out on the court. So you injure your knee. Okay, Joe, you have two choices. Do the first choice is this. I can promise you no knee pain. But the way that we do this is you can't walk anymore. You're not allowed to do that. Flip side, Joe, what's your favorite sport? What do you like to play? Football, soccer. Okay, cool. So we'll call it football. It's in the interest of your audience. Uh, in the U.S., we call it soccer, of course, and we're, we're horrible soccer fans. And it, this, uh, this year in the World Cup, the U.K. and the U.S., we're in the same group together. So hopefully we both get through to the round of 16. Um, so flip side, Joe, your knee that got injured, I can work you through a process of healing that knee. It actually requires you to challenge yourself. You have to do incremental challenges. And each time you challenge yourself, that knee actually will get stronger. And initially, you won't be able to play football. But if you stick with the program for two months, you will build up strength in your knee. The pain will go away. And the functionality will be restored. And then one day I'm walking by the park and I look out and I'm like, holy crap, that's Joe. Look at that smashing rocket that he just launched off his foot. <laughs> right? That was like, that was like absolutely incredible. That was like Wayne Rooney-esque. <laughs> and it looks like Wayne Rooney, doesn't he? No, I'm just kidding. Check out YouTube, everyone. Um, doesn't look like Wayne Rooney at all, actually. But anyway, the, I, the point is that you could stop walking, the knee does not get better, and you suffer the health consequences from making that choice, and you never actually restore function to the knee because it would be very silly to say that you have a broken or you have a messed up knee and you're not going to try to repair it and fix it. Flip side, you repair the knee, you restore function to it, you may have some pain in that process, but you're properly applying yourself through a path that allows you to ultimately restore that function and reduce the pain. The gut is the exact same. The gut, you can ignore the gut. You can run away from the food that scares you. The gut will not grow stronger. It will grow weaker. You will suffer more digestive health issues, and you will find that you have even more food intolerances. Flip side, you can turn towards the food that's causing you trouble. And instead of running away from it, you can work through it just like you would with that knee. Small, incremental challenges. Not putting yourself through excruciating pain. I am not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to do smart, small, incremental challenges of your gut with that food in a way that causes either no pain or as little pain as we can possibly make it. But by, by progressively escalating those challenges, the gut adapts, it grows stronger, you restore function. And then one day you discover that you can eat this food that you didn't think you were capable of eating and you can eat it without restriction. And guess what, Joe, the question that you asked me, I, even though I took a 45 minute tangent there, I'm coming back to it here, man. The question that you asked me was, how do you know that you have truly healed your gut? And the answer to the question is, you know, that you've healed your knee when you're back out there playing soccer, you know, that you've healed your gut when you're eating food and you're eating it in abundance in diversity without restriction, without fear. And you have joy and you have a smile on your face because you love that friggin' food. Man. Mic drop, get out. That was powerful, <laughs> man. Man, I, I, and you're absolutely right, because I remember um, one of the things that I did, I, I, I was in a relationship with a girl, she, she was a, a vegan girl, and I remember I, I wanted to 
try and cut out basically red meat. And I did it for about, must have been about 18 months or two years or something. I went quite a while without eating it. And I remember when I first tried eating it again, man, it did not feel good. I had horrible pains in my stomach. And um, similar to what you described today, I feel like most people, they do that. They, they will read their book, uh, read your book, and they'll say, you know what? I want to collect my fiber points. You know, I want to get my, my, my 30 fiber points a week. So for someone that's been used to eating sausage and chips, suddenly they're throwing spinach on their plate. They're throwing peppers on their plate, flax seeds, chia seeds. And man, similar to what you said, they don't feel uh, they don't feel good. So then they go, you know, I need to avoid it all. But what you were saying is yeah, no. the vegan diet is not for me. That's what they say. Yeah. They go, the vegan diet is not for me. And it's, the, the issue is it's the nuance. It's the nuance. Because when we say things like, oh, this diet is not for me, or like there's one size fits all, there is no one size fits all. This is why I'm the US medical director of a personalized nutrition company. And we can talk more about how to make personalizations within nutrition and some of the science, because we've published more than 40 papers at Zoe so far. Um, I know in the UK, many of you are familiar with Tim, Professor Tim Spector at King's College London, who's one of our founders. But so there no, is no one size fits all, but you have to understand the nuance. This is what you're pointing out, Joe, and you are absolutely correct, which is that your gut is trained to whatever you've been eating for the last three months. And if you make a sudden switch and you're like, oh, it's January 1st and it's, it's V-January. <laughs> January, this is going to be a controversial thought. Hopefully people don't try to stab me in the neck for this. But like January, there are some downsides to this. Because when people push too hard too fast, jumping into some sort of radical diet, that's what I would describe as a fad. Right? 30 days of this. That's a fad. I'm here to say, and I said it earlier and I'll say it again. This is about small common sense sustainable choices that you put on repeat and you do it enough that you get to a point where you don't even think about it. Then it's a habit. That is the actual hack. The hack is creating healthy habits. And just something I, I you know, I, I know that I, I'm a man. I quite like my tangents uh, similar to what you described there. And something that I, it's just going to, I'm going to link this in, in quite a weird way, but we did episode uh, 200 a while back. And Lewis, he put me on the spot and he said, you know, if you could kind of come up with one rule or something like this, and you know, one of these types of, types of questions, you know, what would it be, et cetera. And for some reason in the moment, I, I, I come up with this rule and I said, you know what, first thing in the morning, I want you to get your first meal of the day, right? I don't want you to have a McDonald's breakfast. I want you to have a home cooked, nutritious meal. Um, one of the reasons was that I said that was because in my own experience and speaking with neuroscientists and this, particularly this conversation I had with Dr. Anna Lemke from Stanford, um, it seems to me like it's quite easy in life to get in negative feedback cycles. Um, you know, and, and for instance, I, I do some teaching in, in academia and there in the UK, you only need 40% to pass your first year. That's the common thing. And as long as you get the 40%, then you pass. And that's what students aim for. And I tell them all the time, the people that come out with first-class degrees that go on to do PhDs or medical degrees, they are not the people that are aiming for, for, for 40%. You know, they are the people that, that they do well from, from the start. So it's similar to what you were describing, but they, 
if you can get one meal right, you can just lean yourself in, then your next decision becomes easier and easier. Um, but if you start your day, obviously, with a bad meal uh, or at any point, then what are you telling yourself subconsciously? You're saying, I, I'm not worth the effort or I'm the person that always takes shortcuts. Uh, I'm, you know, and essentially, I guess what this comes all back to is simple is try to get yourself into a positive feedback loop. And the right. metaphor which you used in terms of uh, if you've got a broken or you know, you've damaged your knee, you're absolutely right. You're not going to go and try and squat 100 kilos. But what can right. you do with that knee that can get you into that positive feedback cycle? And I promise it will radiate to other areas of your life. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. No, I think that's totally true. And actually, if you go back 10 years ago to when I was starting on this journey, that's exactly what happened with me. So I'm not sitting there, I'm not sitting there like, you know, oh, well, let me read this book and this book will tell me how to live my life. I was just trying stuff. Yeah. Right. And here's what I did instead. of So I was in a point in my life where convenience was very important to me. I was working, you know, six days a week, 18 hours a day, barely had time to do my own laundry. So like, this is why fast food took such a grapple hold in my life. And here's what I did. I still needed convenience. I was not going to do like some sort of fantastic culinary thing in the kitchen. I just wanted something better than like a microwave dinner. <laughs> and seriously, and cause the, cause the counterpoint to the microwave dinner is even worse. It's going to the fast food joint, mm. right? How can I level up above this? Well, here's what I did. I got a blender and in that blender, I threw a bunch of plants, bananas, blueberries, some greens, maybe some chia or flax or hemp or walnuts. You throw this stuff in there, you throw in some sort of liquid, whatever liquid you like, you press a button. And next thing you know, you got a smoothie, you've cooked dinner, it's done. And what's cool about Joe, you mentioned creating a positive feedback loop. So I would challenge people when you, when you emerge, because again, I'm not worried about the person who's 90% plant-based right now. I'm worried about the person who is me from 10 years ago, 5%, 10% plant-based and mostly junk food. And when you substitute instead of the junk food, you replace it with healthy food, like a smoothie, you will find your energy levels will surge instantly. Mm. Pay attention to that. I'm going to encourage everyone Pay attention to that. Your energy levels surge instantly because that puts you into a positive feedback loop because then you want more of that. And you start pursuing it, Joe. You start doubling down. You come back tomorrow night, you do it again. And then next thing you know, your skin clears up. It's only been a week. And then a month later, your hair is thicker, right? And now all of a sudden these foods that you struggled with you actually aren't struggling anymore. And instead of having a hangover after dinner where you have to lay on the couch and make weird noises, you instead are going to the gym because you got so much energy that you want to smash a workout late at night, right? This is the path. And that's how you create a positive. You're exactly right, Joe. That's brilliant. Man, I love that. I've got a couple more questions that I want to um, ask you, questions that I've never, never asked you before. Uh, and cool. this this ties in with with your new book and kind of the questions um, that uh, our audience asked us. Um, one of the things that I would uh, kind of love to uh, particularly ask you is 
we are as humans uh deeply motivated by moving towards pleasure and moving away from pain in terms of the microbiome what are the things that we should be moving towards and the things we should be moving away from well i think that's an interesting question you know food so um we, we're focusing a lot on nutrition and perhaps we'll get an opportunity to move outside of nutrition in a moment here. Sure. But uh, food is now being like produced to hack our brain and manipulate us. The food industry uses a concept called the bliss point. Their job, if I'm the CEO of, let's say, some sort of snack, my job as that CEO is to give you an experience that makes you say, I can't wait to open another bag of that. And we're hacking into your brain chemistry and we're making you addicted to your food. It's unnatural. Now I would be uh, selling a false, a falsehood. I would be selling a lie. If I sat here and said that like the salad is so exciting to you that you can't resist yourself that you're stumbling over yourself to get it because it's so addictive. It is, it is not when you have not been eating that way. But here's the exciting and interesting thing. Your gut adapts, it changes. And the foods that you start to eat with consistency in the very beginning, you're eating them because you know from a cerebral perspective, this is smart, this is smart food. This is food that's good for my body. This is anti-inflammatory. But what happens is then over about four weeks, your microbes catch up and then you start to actually crave that food and you find that you become addicted to it, not as quickly addicted as you would be to the junk food from the food industry, but you start to become addicted to it. And the way that I know this, Joe, is that when I travel, I go away, I'm eating out, it's not my usual diet. When I come back to Charleston, I cannot wait to eat some clean, healthy food, which sounds so bizarre for me to even say that. For it to come out of my mouth, I'm like, what am I even saying? <laughs> but it's the truth. We become adapted to it. So the other thing too is that, um, so I think that it does require us to be to gravitate towards something that makes sense and isn't necessarily just purely intuitive. But I think the other thing is we need to connect our dots connect the dots between our mood and the um, non-conscious mind and what's happening in our gut. So I want to zoom in in a minute uh, for a moment, if you, if it's okay with you, Joe, and talk yes. about mood disorders. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, the, the brain and the gut are intertwined. They cannot be separated from one another. The brain has a number of ways, including through the vagus nerve, where it can send signals to the gut. But one of the ways that the brain can do this is by releasing a hormone called corticotropin releasing hormone, CRH, comes from the pituitary gland and it initiates a cascade of the stress response. Now, when we are in a stressful moment, there's a reason why we evolved to have this because it basically puts our body in a position where if we're getting attacked by a dog or something like that, there's advantages to what's happening in our body from this. But the problem is it comes at the compromise of injury to the gut. There is a cost. The cost of activating the stress response is that it will injure your gut. This is why when we are stressed, I'm sure all of you listening at home, 
can relate to many of us will manifest gut symptoms. Could be bloating, gas, abdominal pain, cramping, diarrhea, constipation. But like 85% of us, that's what we get when we're stressed out, right? Or just like a queasy knot in the gut. Some people get headaches. Um, so if you zoom in on the gut, you discover that the stress response is actually inducing dysbiosis, injury to the microbiome, loss of balance. Now, what happens when there is something unsettled in your life could be many things. Could be the way that I felt 10 years ago. I didn't love the man I saw in the mirror. Could be the loss of someone that you care about. I lost my dad. We talked about it on the, on the show last time. Could be a relationship. Could be, you know, it could be many different things. Could be a big trauma. Could be trauma with a lower T, lowercase T. But the point is that if there's something that's unsettled, even if it's in the non-conscious mind, not something that you're actively thinking about, but it is there, it does exist. And it's a part of who you are. It's part of your memory. If that's there, then it basically is activating this CRH stress response 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it may not be enough to um, trigger that acute type of symptom, but this is a part of the package that is affecting your gut health that has absolutely nothing to do with food. And I'm hoping that this will be helpful to at least some of your listeners. There are going to be some of you who say, but Dr. B, I did everything that you asked me to do. I ate the right food. I was sleeping. I was exercising. I was meditating. I was doing intermittent fasting, all of it. And I still was not better. And my response to that is that there may be something in your mind. I'm not saying you're making this up. This is real. And this is in the non-conscious mind, something you're not even thinking about that has impacted you in a negative way. And that negative energy is ultimately eliciting a negative response in your gut. And this is, so this is another example, Joe, where like positively, negatively, negativity, these things can reinforce us. When you take away that negative energy and you replace it with positive energy, people actually reverse dysbiosis. And I've actually witnessed this so many times. I, I, I really am uh, struggling to remember who said it, but uh, some uh, please forgive me. I'm sure our audience will tell me, but there was uh, someone who I interviewed and um, I remember that they said to me, you can't heal a body or a mind that you hate. And at the time, I remember thinking that is so powerful. And that so kind of is, is similar to what you say. You know, if, if you hate your body, even if, you know, you don't, even if you're eating all the right things and we are talking about getting this positive feedback cycle in mathematics, no matter what the number is, if you're times in it by zero, it will always be zero. And it's right. the same thing. If you hate yourself, if you hate your body, if you have these unworked through traumas, then similar to what you're saying, it sounds like that will have the same effect on you. It will be times in by zero. I'll give you a quick example because I, I want to also make clear that when I say like trauma, many of us interpret that to be like, you know, something profound and over the top. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be. It could be just something that's stressing you out mm -hmm. and affecting your life. Obviously, we've had things during this pandemic, but like I had a patient recently, Joe, who I'd been taking care of for two years and she has ulcerative colitis. She's young. She's single. She wants to date. She can't date because she has diarrhea literally around the clock. She has to wake up at night to go number two, destroying her quality of life. I had tried everything to get her better. She was not getting better. Then one day recently, she's in the clinic. I sit down with her, I look across at her. She's smiling. She's got a great smile on her face. She's not anxious. She's excited to be here. 
And she says to me, Dr. B, you're not going to believe this. I'm better. I'm actually all the way better. It's like, I don't even have ulcerative colitis anymore. And I was like jumping with joy, but tell me what happened? How is this possible? I was doing everything. I could not get you better. I was failing. She says to me, I never told you this, but I hated my job. Every single morning I would get into the car. My blood pressure would go up. My heart was racing because I could not stand going to that office. And my boss would demean me and break me down publicly in front of my peers, making me feel so small. And when I finally got the courage to walk away, my ulcerative colitis went into remission. Wow. Boom. Crazy. Wow. Wow, man. I, I could speak to you forever and a day, I assure you. Um, I got a couple more questions that I just want to um, fly through before uh, I let you wrap up, just in case, of course, your wife does give birth whilst we're on this call. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I would um, love to ask you a question we were asked about, antibiotics and the gut microbiome. Are they bad for the gut microbiome? Well, when so the, the greatest the greatest invention in the history of, of medicine is actually the antibiotic. If and I can say that with a straight face and, and I mean it because if you go back a hundred years ago, the top three causes of death were all infections. And now the top three causes of death are clearly not infections. I realize that there have been a lot of people hurt or affected by COVID-19, and that's unique because it's a pandemic, but generally speaking, infections are not the top causes of death in the United States or in the UK anymore. And so, but the problem is that if you look at the evidence, the evidence would suggest that we overprescribe antibiotics. We got too excited. They're too sexy. They're too appealing. They're too powerful. They were, you know, being described as categorically good with no downside. Why would you not take antibiotics? And little did we realize that we had this community of 38 trillion microbes living inside of us. Antibiotics don't systematically eliminate just the bad guys. Antibiotics systematically destroy bacteria of all varieties, including good ones. So we know that antibiotics are the most profound way to impact the microbiome in a very quick uh, attack. Mm. And it does take time for our body to recover. And if you're asking me, Joe, how do we approach that? The answer is first and foremost, we want to support and nurture our gut microbiome. We don't want to be one of the 19 of 20 that are fiber deficient. We want to support our microbiome before the antibiotic, during the antibiotic, and after the antibiotic with a wide variety of plants in our diet. We want to make sure that we're doing the, the little things, sleeping, exercising, spending time outdoors. And now is not the time to be sabotaging your gut with junk food, a lot of sugar, tons of saturated fat, alcohol. You know, now is not the time to be sabotaging give your body a little bit of a rest, give it a solid two weeks to recover before you start partying again, having fun on Friday night. I love it, man. I love it. Um, as you mentioned, you are um, having uh, your third child. My, my yeah. biggest congratulations. Uh, I you. don't have any that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a quick addendum. Um, who knows? Who, who knows, knows, man? Maybe they'll turn up my door one day. But uh, I would love to um, ask, in terms of, say, perhaps the microbiome, are you doing anything in particular with your wife uh, in, or is there anything, any special 
protocols or tools that you're thinking about in terms of perhaps the health of the the newborn baby in terms of the microbiome? I think that the the key here is that the health of the newborn baby starts before the baby is even born. So it really starts it really starts with the diet that mom is consuming during pregnancy. Um, not that it should be perfect. I, I you know I say repeatedly, you know this, Joe. I say repeatedly in my books, progress over perfection. Mm. So focusing on progress, not focusing on perfection. But so I think diet uh, during pregnancy is very important when possible. A vaginal delivery as opposed to a cesarean section is preferred. Full disclosure, this is my third, this is going to be my third child. And my expectation is that actually it's going to be our third C-section. So, and these are, there's medical reasons for why this happens. Um, those are our own, but I think that the point though, is that sometimes I feel like people hear what I'm saying and they interpret it as, oh, I can't have a healthy child if they're born by C-section. That's not true. My kids are very healthy. Um, when possible, breastfeeding the children. So uh, human breast milk is quite fascinating. Contain, con, it contains these carbohydrates called human milk oligosaccharides. Human milk oligosaccharides, HMOs, uh, there's over 200 unique varieties of them. And they have absolutely zero nutritional value for children. Because the human milk oligosaccharides are basically the breast milk equivalent of fiber. Wow. They feed the baby's microbiome. And this is why healthy children are fed breast milk. Uh, and then the, uh, the third thing is that if you need antibiotics, antibiotics should be administered. But the first question, if antibiotics are going to be prescribed is, do I need these antibiotics? What happens if I don't have these antibiotics? Because if you don't need the antibiotics, then you don't take them. And when you look, Joe, it's kind of interesting to consider this. You know, you can imagine where um, birth by vaginal delivery and breastfeeding with these human milk oligosaccharides and avoiding antibiotics, these are all things that are good for the gut microbes. Mm -hmm. And if you study what happens to people years later, not instantly, years later, you will discover that those who were born vaginal delivery, breastfed, and did not receive antibiotics are less likely to be obese, are less likely to have allergic diseases like asthma, are less likely to have autoimmune diseases like celiac disease or type 1 diabetes, are less likely to have metabolic diseases like, like type 2 diabetes. It's so interesting. And the microbiome is uh, endlessly fascinating to me. Um, I come come back down one second, but I just uh, this is a question I'm a little bit embarrassed to ask you, but uh, this is uh, a fan requested one, um, and I'm not even sure how I'm going to phrase this. But uh, how should uh, one's uh, poop uh, be like, and uh, does it matter? This was another question. A part B: What time of the day? it uh, leaves one's bowels. <laughs> okay. So let me, uh, for the listeners at home, if you're not watching on YouTube, Joe is actively getting red in the face <laughs> as I'm watching him ask this question. And I can tell how nervous and like, he, he's very smooth throughout the entire interview. 
And then the minute we get to poop, he gets a little <laughs> bit nervous and he's a little choppy with his, with his words, not really sure how to approach this question. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm over here and I'm like, yo, man, listen, I talk Dude. about poop all day long. <laughs> I, all right. So I'm happy to take a talk about taking a dump as much as you want to, my man. All right. So I literally have a t-shirt, eat plants, take epic yeah, dumps. Dump. That's what I wear around the town. So, um, all right. I think that bowel movements are being way underrated. I think that we should be looking at them uh, as just as important as measuring a person's weight or taking their heart rate or their blood pressure. This should be a vital sign. And the reason why is because we have, again, this new discovery in the last 15 years about how important and how powerful the gut microbiome actually is. And if this is, if it is really this central to human health, then we should be paying attention to the windows or the insights that we can, that we can have from just routine daily life. Your bowel movements are a window into your gut health. Here are the things that I look at as a gastroenterologist. First of all, how do you feel before we even look in the toilet bowl? How do you feel? Because, and this is, I'm not asking you directly, Joe, you don't need to answer these questions, my man. Oh, this is more rhetorical. <laughs> yeah, this is more rhetorical for the people at home. But like, how do you feel? Because um, a good, healthy bowel movement is supposed to be very pleasurable. It's supposed to be very satisfying. You're supposed to stand up and strut out of that bathroom in slow motion while fireworks go off in the sky and doves fly out in slow motion, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be like keeping it completely real. A healthy bowel movement is one of the best parts of our day. It is one of the best parts of our day. You're supposed to have fun with that. And when it's not, when it's effort, when it's uh, out of rhythm and you're straining and it's incomplete and you're not fully going, something is wrong. You are not where you need to be. Now, how often do we need to go? The number is less important than people would expect. Let me give you an example. If you poop once every seven days, you're constipated. I don't need any more information. That's all I need to know. If you poop once every seven days, you are constipated. But that's only about 1% of people out there. That's not a very high percentage of people. Flip side, you can poop every single day and be constipated. You could poop five times a day and be constipated. The person who poops and does not completely evacuate could go every day or multiple times a day and still be constipated. Constipation is the inadequate evacuation of the bowels and the ultimate manifestation of symptoms because you're not adequately evacuating. So it could be frequency, but it could also be the amount that you're releasing when you go. So you could go once every two days or once every three days, but if you don't have any symptoms, if, the number one symptom of constipation, by the way, is gas and bloating. So I know a person's constipated when their gas and bloating is still there. They go, oh, I'm pooping way better. Yeah, are you, are you bloated? Yes. Okay, cool. You still got some work to do. You're still a little constipated. You got to get you pooping some more. So um, you could poop once every three days. If you have no gas and bloating, no digestive symptoms, you're fine. You're pooping. You're adequately evacuating. Flip side, uh, if you're not completely evacuating, then you're gonna start to manifest these symptoms. One last thing that I would add, this is in my new book, The Fiberfield Cookbook. You can also find it on the internet if you wanna search for it. There's something called the Bristol Stool Scale. 
And the Bristol stool scale is seven graphic representations of what a bowel movement looks like. <laughs> All right. And you can take a look at your poop and it will tell you, give you some insight into where you're at. Bowel movements are supposed to be what are called type three or type four. Type four is like the glorious doves in slow motion bowel movement. And that is a sausage. It is soft, but formed. It is nice and long. And when you release it, it's like, cool, man, that was a good, natural, complete evacuation. And it's satisfying. A type one is like a hard ball. That's constipation. A type seven is just liquid, no form at all. That's explosive. That's urgent. That's diarrhea. So you can integrate this information. You can say, how often am I going? What's my Bristol stool type? Do I have any symptoms? Do I feel like I'm completely evacuating when I go? Now that you've had this lesson for everyone at home, you are now thinking like Dr. B. You are thinking like a, like a poop whisperer. That's me. Cheers to the doves and swans. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, let's move on from this topic. You're speechless. You're speechless. <laughs> you've, Enough you've, of rendered, that. you've rendered a podcast Enough. a speechless. <laughs> Enough of that. You're ready to move on to something else. Bro, I'm going to have a, a, an artery burst in my face if we are just you, on this topic. <laughs> Joseph, are you sweating right now? Are you okay? <laughs> it's hot in here. <laughs> I love it, but they, they were very, very good tips there. Um, I would love to know, if you were to give some, uh, perhaps one bit of advice to the young doctor, Will, that's just come out of medical school, he's, you know, He's green behind the ears. He wants to make a big impact in the world. He's young. He's enthusiastic. What would you go back and tell the young Dr. B? I think that the, this is not just Dr. B. This is all of us. Mm-hmm. Our best work is not cerebral and it is not engineered. Our best work is when we feel compelled to do something and we can't even stop ourselves from doing it. We have to do it. We have to do it. And that's how I got myself to where I am today. Part of it is hard work. I'm a very hard worker. I don't quit. I wrote two books at five in the morning. That's when I wrote these books. Um, But it's not even about that. The reason why I work so hard is because I feel that I have to do this. I have to get the word out. People deserve to hear this. And so for me, that's what inspires me in my life. And for other people, I fully recognize that we all are in our own personal, unique journey. And that's like, that's part of what makes us fun is that we're individual, we're different. So you're on your own journey. What inspires you? What do you want to wake up and tackle? What makes you like want to go kick ass, right? Find that, do that, make your life about that. And you will be uh, so much more happy. Because it's a purpose-driven life. And that's where I am right now. It's really exciting, Joe. Man, I, I love that message. And it's interesting um, that, again, you know, you, you took, we started this conversation, we brought it full circle, where you said that you were that 30-year-old guy. You were on the sofa, depressed. And, you know, you talked about what it was that, that um, saved you. And it's interesting that time and time again on this show, we hear that your purpose can come from your pain. What it was that you most struggled with is what you will go on to uh, be driven by. And just like we all have a unique microbiome, similar to what you said, we had 
we all have a unique journey. So, man, I, I tip my hat to you. And I got one last question before, man, we, we sign off and get you to sign point these guys to your social media, to the new book, to your old book, and everywhere else in between. My last question to you from today is, question we sign off all our podcasts with, is what makes a life worth living? A life worth living... You know, Joe, I should probably remember that you asked me these questions because this is my third time on the show and I, <laughs> this is a curveball. But um, a, li- a life worth living is a, uh, I think, a life that's connected to other people. We are social creatures. There's just no denying that. Uh, you want to torture a person, isolate them. And if you want to bring the, out the absolute best in a human, support them. And let them know that they are loved. And they turn into absolute animals. They're fantastic. I would not be who I am today. I would not be capable of doing the things that I do today. If I didn't have this family behind me that backs me up. The Bolsowitz family, my wife, my two kids, soon to have a third kid. Um, my, my parents, my parents-in-law, uh, my friends. They make me who I am today. Dr. B by himself would be the guy curled up on the couch. And here I am. Man, I love it. I love it. Where can these guys connect with you? And where do you want to signpost them to? All right. So I'm very excited about this, Joe, because in the past, like with Fiber Fueled, there actually was not a UK book launch. And people in the UK were also required to read a book that was spelled inappropriately. I apologize for that. It was spelled F-I-B-E-R-F-U-E-L-E-D. What's that? I don't even know. Come on. <laughs> so this time around, I do have a UK publisher. And um, this is the beauty of, of having a successful first book is that now I can reach new markets like the UK with a book that's properly spelled F-I-B-R-E-F-U-E-L-L-E-D. And my book launches in the UK on May 19th, the Fiberfield Cookbook. Here's what I'll say. And I, I've been alluding to this, but just to take a quick Uh, look at what you're going to find inside the pages of this book. Yes, this is a cookbook. It has 125 recipes. They are new recipes. They are in full color photography, beautiful photography. All right. For all the guys out there that love photography, what's up guys. (laughs) But this actually is so much more than a cookbook. This, I would describe this as a recipe based choose your own adventure for gut health. It has 11 chapters uh, I actually don't even introduce recipes until the back end of chapter four. You, I'm actually teaching people how to reverse and heal food intolerances. So I mentioned earlier, I had unfinished business. My unfinished business is that people who have food intolerances struggle to eat the foods that I'm recommending. I want to help you with that. I want to fix that problem with you. As a medical doctor, I've always wanted to have a situation where I could reach out to my patient and hand them recipes. Like, hey, cook this. This will heal you. And I've never been able to do it until now. This is me, my prescription for healing. It has two recipe-based food intolerance protocols, one for low FODMAP, one for low histamine. I give you the tools that you need for a healthy gut, teach you how to ferment, teach you how to sprout, teach you how how to add more variety and abundance to your life. The the point is that this is a recipe-based choose your own adventure for gut health. We're all on our own journey. You are not required to be vegan. You can be whatever form you want to be, but I'm of the belief that you will be of a more healthy form when it includes more plants in your diet. So that's what I'm trying to help you accomplish. Social media, anywhere else, where can these guys connect with you? 
Okay. Yeah. So um, come find me at theplantfedgut.com. That's my website. I have an email list that people really seem to dig because basically like you guys know on social media, I can only say so much. And when a brand new hot study comes out that I want to break down and teach you about, I actually want to write it out. I don't want to just give you like a hundred characters. So um, join my email list at theplantfedgut.com. I have an online course that I'm running this summer. Uh, I, um, you can find me on social media as the gut health MD. So, and I, I do welcome, I've had great experiences with your show, Joe, in the past 2018. I remember that podcast episode exploding. I remember it. It was a big podcast for me. I think it was for you guys too. And um, so it's nice to be back with you. It's always good. And I, I always say this, but I think we're getting closer to this. I can't wait to meet you in London sometime, my friend. Man, we're, put, we're putting a GoFundMe page in this and we're going to get Doc to be on a world tour. And the first stop is the UK. We're, we're getting you over here, brother. <laughs> I'm going to come and what we'll do is we'll sit down and we'll have some fun and maybe we'll pull up a microphone and we'll record episode number four. <laughs> wow.